0: What's up and welcome back to Almost Familiar. Wherever you are, we are glad you're tuning in. As always, I am Wes Johnson hanging out with one of my best friends, Elizabeth Dreesen. And although we are not together at the moment like we were for our last episode, we did recently get to hang out for a little bit when you came out to Colorado to start out the new year.
1: Yes, it was such a beautiful and ideal way to start this new year. I planned a trip around seeing Emancipator at Belly Up in Aspen, which was a bucket list item of mine, just seeing Emancipator in the mountains in Colorado somewhere. Like I noticed for a couple years that he usually did like a mountain town run to start the year. And I was like, I want to go to that someday. And then when he announced the Aspen show, I was like, this is my opportunity. So I spent a week hanging out with you and Matt in Colorado. I got to spend some time in Denver. Got to spend some time in... Where where were the hot springs again? What was that town?
0: That was in Glenwood Springs.
1: Yes, we got to go to some hot springs. I mean, just the combination of like going to the hot springs, seeing Emancipator, Mm. and then going to the hot springs on the way back, and then getting those amazing chicken wings in Wreck. Like chicken wings. I just, (sighs) I could not imagine a more perfect way to start Like, for one of the first days of the year, I was like, these vibes are what I want to be feeling, like, all fucking year. Oh my
0: god, yeah, and emancipator just fucking covered us in vibes at Belly Up, which is just, it was such a wild experience, because I know the place is historic, but I did not expect to have as good of a time as we did there. We had great seats, so shout out to you for, like, getting our little reserved seats And, like, if you haven't been to Belly Up, it is a super small, very intimate club. I think it's, like, a 400-person cap type of deal. But I have never seen Doug so close. And I've never heard sound in such a small venue be so incredible. It was amazing. Like, the production was just top tier. But, yeah, just a beautiful, beautiful week. I still, just, like, I can't, we were talking about off air. I can't believe that happened, like, a month ago. Like, it feels like you were just here, but also feels like you were here, like, forever ago. It's so weird.
1: I know. And we also had the opportunity to, well, you had met them already, but I had I had actually had yet to meet any of our podcast guests in person. And I know many of you that have been on the show live in the Colorado area, and we had the opportunity to meet Thought Process, aka Joe, and Sam Ackles. And we went to, what what was the name of Joe's restaurant? I should remember it because it was fucking amazing, but I can't remember it right now.
0: Linger, which is the hottest restaurant in Denver. If you have not been, you have got to go.
1: Yeah, they had all kinds of things on the menu, like from all over the world. And I have to say, Wes, I have literally never felt more like a celebrity than that meal. Like Joe hooked it the fuck up.
0: Hooked it up. Those fucking donuts?
1: Oh, my God. I think about them every day. The little tequila shots. They were so delectable. The dumplings. Oh, the tequila
0: shots were incredible. The dumplings. And then that little, like, dahi puri dish that you got, yeah, which was like, I couldn't even tell you what was in these things, but it was just some of the best flavors I've ever had inside of my mouth ever. No pause. I'll say that full chest. It was incredible. So yeah, thank you Joe for that amazing dining experience. They are very lucky to still have you as a waiter.
1: Hell yeah, and he announced a show, uh, uh, his first curated show in Denver, right? at the Is it at the Black Box?
0: Yeah, it is, it's a super crazy show. Um, so he picked out the whole lineup. he I mean, as he told us, he's gonna be having some special things going on at the show. So if you are in Colorado on March 5th, uh, definitely advise you get your thought process tickets think it's about like 50% sold out now. So let's get the boy sold out show. And yeah, just like lots of good music going on right now. You know, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but I'm just seeing shows getting announced. I'm seeing festivals getting announced again. It like, it almost feels like business as usual as close to that as we can possibly get moving forward.
1: Yeah, I feel pulled in many different directions in terms of festivals this year.
0: So like just as a recap, what are the things on your horizon? Because I've got a list of like 10 things that I would like to go to and I wish there was a version of reality where I could just have multiple clones of me just running out and simultaneously enjoying it, but still like having that collective hive mind appreciation of it all because there's just so much going on. It's crazy.
1: I mean, I always feel like I bite off more than I can chew and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And everything is like two months apart and my bank account is like, no, you're fucking not. It's like, you live in San Please Francisco, no. like, think yeah. again. Um, Wait for the rent check to clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but originally, you know, like, I was like, okay, Gem and Jam seems interesting. Unfortunately, we didn't make it to that. Okeechobee looked interesting, but I really had to, like, put myself in check and be like, what festivals are worth getting on a plane for? Because not every festival is worth it. There are some festivals where, like, if you live in the state and, like, you can drive to it, like, absolutely. Like, if I lived in the Northeast and like camp bisco at least for a day absolutely like as as much of a garbage festival as it is like there's always one great fucking day like absolutely would drive to it would i ever get on a plane for it absolutely fucking not like never ever ever would i do that
0: never ever ever i mean
1: if pretty lights played it like i would but otherwise i there don't think i would okay. yeah i uh-huh yeah.
0: I just had you to you had to say it okay thank you I just made the need to make a point sorry
1: no of course point taken all day the best festival set I've seen of his personally was the Bisco 17 set I was fucking floored amazing
0: (laughs) shit was good
1: but so Okeechobee to go back to our original conversation, Okeechobee, I decided, at least this year, not a festival that is worth flying to, given what else is on my horizon and what's on my actual horizon, at least what I've committed to financially so far, is lightning in a bottle. Because that's. I feel like that's just like my hometown throwdown. Because again, I'm in the state of California. Like, how can I not go? I feel very drawn to it. I'm going with my friend Megan, who I fucking met there five years ago. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then if it works out, And I don't know if it will because I'm going on vacation with my family kind of like two weeks before it would happen. And I feel like that's like a challenging turnaround time. But if I can pull it off, um, I would love to do Base Coast this year. It's been on my radar for a while. I would love to volunteer um, with Stacy, who was on our podcast on the episode about separating the art from the artist. She runs the harm reduction at Base Coast, and I would love to volunteer with her in person. So if I can do that, I would, but I don't know if I can.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to prioritize that stuff because I completely forgot about Okeechobee, honestly, until you said it. Just because, like, mentally, I knew it wasn't even a financial option because I'm going to Tipper and Friends like the month after, I think it is. And I just can't justify going to Florida like twice. I don't think Lightning in a Bottle is going to pan out for me this year, unfortunately, which I'm super bummed about. But where I will be is my version of Lightning in a Bottle, which is going to be Sonic Bloom this year. Uh, I just confirmed that I'm going to be working it again, so I'm, like, really excited just to be back at the Unified Field and Hummingbird Ranch and just, that's my shit. That's my spot, and, like, I hope someday you're able to come. We'll both have to go to each other's festivals one of these years at the same time in the same year. That would be great and ideal, but uh, in terms of, like, straight-up low-key homie fest vibes, I saw Circus of Life announced their or Circus of Life announced their lineup today. I saw it had Five AM and Vincent and Anton on it. Some AF alum, so shout out to the boys. If you're in New York, you have to go to that fest. And then June Jam put up a little really cute little Instagram post announcing their lineup. Did you see that, Elizabeth?
1: I didn't. I don't even know if about if I know about June Jam.
0: So June Jam happens in Flagstaff, and it's got like you know out of all the festivals I just listed, it's a very similar vibe. You know, like, pretty forward, progressive, electronic music that's kind of meant for, you know, just being shared with people. Kind of like us. So if you're listening to this podcast, you would fucking love June Jam. But they announced this lineup today, and it's like, I've never seen a lineup announced like this, so let me just read you the lineup. The headliners. You. Your friends. Five billion stars. Fresh mountain air. World-class sound. Bass music. House music global music multi-genre stages little stand-up comedy live bands art stuff this is my my two favorite things and whoever put this together the way you put these back to back good for you maybe your soulmate possibly an ex <laughs> grass car camping yoga classes people that give a shit a plus food vendors too many portos. Like not even a couple portos. Too many. Like you can shit in peace here. They got comfortably uncomfortable workshops. Come on. No ticket fees? Frisbee golf? Theme camps? I don't know what DeWamp is, but I'd love to go and find out. The Oasis? Pranks? The beautification station, ridiculous golf carts, a chipmunk called Mabel, dancing, smiles, bubbles and lasers, the good eggs, DJs doing good things, acoustic funk, laughter, art cars, Billy the Disco Bowl, self-care and gifting, mindful co-creation, and finally you 2.0. So June Jam, fucking hats off to you because that shit just made me smile so big when I read that today. And uh, yeah, that's in June in Flagstaff, Arizona. So, add it to the list of festivals I gotta somehow prioritize to get to. I guess I don't fucking know, dude.
1: That's brilliant, honestly. That is brilliant and creative. Cause honestly, like, uh, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but ever like, I feel like the marketing strategy is like kind of similar across all festivals. Like, there's like promo videos and like build up to it and stuff, and like, they're all obviously different. Because every festival is different. But I do, I mean, you tell me what you think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think it depends on the kind of festival you're looking at. Because then there's fucking festivals like Secret Dreams in Ohio, which just got announced for its first year. You know, like, what the fuck? I thought it was going to be like Resonance 2.0. But apparently it's totally separate. But they've got all the usual suspects of a Resonance. You know, Tipper's going to be there. Sound Tribe's going to be there. Again, Sound Tribe is going to be there. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Papadocio's playing three sets, which like definitely kind of confused the resonance crew. Emancipator is going to be there. Elizabeth. <laughs> emancipator. Elizabeth. And you listening, emancipator.
1: <laughs> you have my attention.
0: <laughs> Jade Cicade is doing his first ever swarm takeover. So, like, there's going to be a Tipper Takeover night, there's a Jade Cicada Takeover night where Mad Zack, Cool Customer, Danny Grooves, Aerojet, oh yeah, and a guy named Detox Unit, all curated on this special Portal stage, like, and this festival came out of nowhere, like, no strategy, they just put out a fucking hot fire lineup and said, I'm good you're gonna come. Honestly,
1: like, I understand the hype. You have my attention with all of this, and I don't know if I'm just, like, very skeptical, but, like, I, I'm i not skeptical about the lineup, but, like, I don't know if I would go to, like, a festival in its first season. Like, maybe I'm not cool enough. I don't know. I kind of, like, value reputation in a way. Like, I don't know if that's, like, a bad way to approach things, but, like, okay, I'm just thinking of this festival a couple years ago. It was, like, Night Craw- Creature of the Night, I think, in Tennessee that, like, put out, like, a sick lineup and then like it just something about it like fell apart. And like, you know, I'm not again, I'm not trying to like criticize anyone at all. Like I really believe a hundred percent that like this event it will be incredible. And I actually specifically believe that because you know, even from what we've heard on our on the episode you're about to hear with Auntie Alias, like the tipper crew does it right. And we've we've known that through, you know, the various people that have collaborated with these artists in the past. Like I, like, I think we can just state as a matter of fact that, like, the Tipper and Friends crew would not associate themselves with something that, like, is not structurally sound from an infrastructure perspective. Like, they are so good about that stuff that, like, you know, there, there's examples of, like, poorly run festivals, like, for sure. Like, there are some festivals that are run very well. There are some festivals that are run very poorly. Most exist in the middle. Every Tipper event we know for a fact that, like, it's it's a brand thing. Like, they only associate themselves with excellence.
0: Now, I think before we get into our episode of Anti-Alias here, who, if you're unfamiliar, you're about to get familiar with, he is a very talented multimedia artist who has made some of your favorite concert posters you've had. He does visuals, and I saw him as a visual artist for the first time, actually, at Tipper Red Rocks, where he worked with Datagram Visuals on night two, which was just some of the wonkiest shit I've seen. At King's Theater, he performed twice, once with Resonant Language, once with Shmoop, and again, this man's visuals matches this fucking crazy high-fidelity sound so well, It was really cool on our first time speaking with a visual artist, kind of learning a little bit more about that community, uh, which was great. So really, really excited to chat about this. But one thing I wanted to kind of address before we kind of get into the episode and kind of get back into festival culture and that swing of things, because obviously we're excited about it. But I wanted to talk about the Charles, the first benefit that I went to at the Mission Ballroom, just because... It was one of the most beautiful evenings I've experienced in a very long time, and it was in such a way that was just all because of human connection through music. You know, everyone there was there because they knew Charles the First at one point, whether it was through his music, whether it was through his insane skiing. Because we got to learn that he was this professional skier who was like pro at fifteen, like a whole accomplished life before he did this music thing. Before his life, you know, shortly ended and. It was just, it wasn't as sad as I thought it was going to be, because it was such a celebration. You know, there was so much love in the building, and then some of his famous, or not his famous, some of his favorite people, who are also musicians, performed. Huxley Ann, like, told us about this beautiful song they had made, and that they were going to film this video, and, like, she they had notes about how this music video was going to look, you know, and it was just a really beautiful acknowledgement of a life gone too soon, but a life that really touched a lot of others and is pushing a movement and pushing a sound that's going to continue to move forward. So I guess what I want to say with that in mind is, you know, as we kind of go back out of these spaces, just be really good to yourself and be really good to others. Take care of each other. We're all here for, we don't know how long, but we can all just try to do our best to make sure that everyone around us is having a good time And just making sure that nobody's left out and that you're expressing your feelings, you know? We we all have a lot of love. We all have talents. You got to share that shit. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about that.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so happy that you got to go. Um, I know that the New Year's Eve show that he was supposed to play in Philadelphia... Well, I don't want to say I know, but I think that I saw um, that that also turned into, like, a tribute and benefit for him as well. So it's been really... I don't know. I feel like this is one of the first times that, like... And, I mean, correct me if I'm, like, missing something. But, like, this is one of the first times that the community has really had to, like, suffer a loss in this way, at least in my time. Or at least with the artists that I'm interested in. And, like, it has just been so inspiring to see how many people have come together. And, like, it's just he he really had such a special legacy, like, not only for his sound, but also for, like, who he – I mean, I, I didn't know him, but, like, who who he must have been as a person. Like, that's what really resonated with me. Like, people weren't just talking about, like, the nature of his sound, but they were talking about, like, him as, like – like, who he was, like, outside of that, outside of his project. And, like, that's what really, like – touched me in all of these tributes but his sound was so unique too i actually just pulled up one of my one tribute that really stuck with me um it was mr Bell, who was also who's also an alum of this show but he shared a memory of the two of them at infrasound and he was chatting with charles uh uh, and potions backstage he played uh between opio and uh, g jones and mr bill was like man it's sick you can play such heady soft shit amongst all these real heavy acts and pe- people still have heavily fuck with it and charles said i don't give people what they want i give people what they need
0: <laughs> mm. wow i love that
1: and i feel like that like th- that's really what struck me i mean i I don't know if I've shared this on this show yet. And like, I don't, I don't think I'm as immersed in bass music culture as um, maybe some of our listeners, but like from my, you know, I I would say that Charles I genuinely was like my favorite producer within that realm. Like I love like down tempo music. And in terms of like bass music, like I thought his sound was so unique and, just like mr bill said like it was unique among all of the noise like i feel like we i feel like i came up in like an era where bass music was like really heavy and it was like what's like the loudest like craziest shit that you can come up with and like he just like didn't subscribe to that and like it like it was brilliant music timeless. like it it's it's an, it's it's timeless yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think he was just one of many in the scene, you know, that's really just pioneering whatever comes next. And, yeah, it's just, it was so different, which, again, is something I really appreciate about, like, bass music. And then it's also the same reason I've come to learn, like, why I love jam music so much is, like, those moments where just, like, you kind of leave the, and it's also, again, because this is our podcast, obviously why I love PLL, the live iteration of Pretty Lights that he had, the most recent one, just because it takes music and just pushes it. You know, and I feel like when music can kind of expand, maybe I'm, like, just too analytical about these things, but I really feel like I have the ability to expand like that. You know, like, just because I've been a certain way doesn't mean you have to be that way forever. You can grow, and that's why I love all this kind of music that just allows for that growth. Because, it, uh, again, it's another reason I love Sonic Bloom so much, is every time I go there, I'm consciously thinking, like, we are all here growing through music. We are blooming sonically. And I just, uh, yeah, it's my favorite shit in the world.
1: And I feel like that notion kind of relates, you know, back to who we're talking to today. Because I think one element that can make these experiences that much more immersive, which I think for me contributes to like my ability to grow in that way, is like the the visual component of it. And that is something that has really expanded in so just as much in my opinion as the music itself like the music has gone in like such like a creative and experimental direction it just like blows my mind every time something new comes out i'm just like holy fuck like i'm like watching the future unfold like before my eyes like and i'm just like literally presently and like it's so cool like i feel like in like 20 years i'm gonna be like yep i was there for that shit and like i think you do it right yep and i think you can say the same about like how the nature of visuals like has evolved is evolving um it's it it's the same as the music to me obviously like it's a different sensory experience experience but like you put the two of them together and that is just like it becomes
0: one sensory experience at that point
1: it it does it does and it's crazy to experience one just as much as the other like i feel like sometimes it's like either the sound is super good or the visuals are super good but like when they're both like equally as good and i think that's something that's happened like a lot recently like we've seen and we talk about this during the episode it's like the there is emphasis placed there's almost equal emphasis placed on the visual artists as there are on the DJs it's like they're both listed on the lineup it's like they're complementary you honestly can't have one without the other
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah no more chicken or the egg you gotta have them both Mm mm-hmm well i think the last thing we have to do because we've been gabbing for a bit here about a lot of stuff is we got to do the social plugs and then we will get into our conversation with anti-alias so if you don't already know and you're a person that's on facebook you can find us at almost familiar if you're on the gram i'm not saying instagram because it's 2022 i'm leaving the insta in the past i'm just calling it the gram i'm committing to that we're on the gram at Almost Familiar Pod. Toss us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. And then if you ever want to reach out, you can hit us up at Almost Familiar Podcast at gmail.com. And the last humble request I have of you, kind, sweet listener, for being so patient with us, if you could, on Apple Music, leave us a little five-star review. But more importantly, if you got a friend that's into music and you think they might like this podcast, just let them know. It helps us kind of pop up in the algorithms and kind of spread our message, which is just about how much we love this music and this scene and just want to share it with you guys, as many of you as we can. So, yeah, I think that's all I got. Elizabeth, do we have any more business to take care of, or can I shut up now?
1: I think we're all set. Thank you guys so much for spending your precious time with us. Now let's get you familiar with today's guest, Auntie Alias.
0: And the tune you're about to hear before we get you into that interview is going to be a tune that was played night two of Tipper's Red Rocks Run, I had been calling it the goldfish tune, but it was since released on the Insolito EP. So please enjoy Tipper's Moriscos. <laughs> Jackman, how are things going for you? How are you settling into
2: Colorado? Uh, they're great. Uh, you know, it's feeling good. It's a, it's definitely a, ch- a change of scenery, which is uh, really cool. Um, settling into my house pretty well and it, yeah, meeting up with some people I haven't seen in a while and so it's been great so far.
1: Where are you from originally?
2: Uh, so I am originally from Northern Virginia. Uh, I've been in Virginia pretty much all of my life uh so east coast have been all up and down the east coast over time different you know visiting family or events or friends and things like that but uh pretty much like right outside the washington dc area is kind of where i'm where i'm originally based out of and
0: was the music kind of what brought you out to colorado or do you have ulterior motives for coming
2: out here it's <laughs> a good question um so i guess you know i've been working the last like Fourish years. I was working uh, in Richmond, Virginia, which is a really cool town. I don't know if you guys have been, um, but lots of great stuff to do there. It's it's a really comfortable city, but uh, I was working at Capital One there as a graphic designer uh, for the last few years, um, doing kind of some more straightforward uh, communications um, type design work and creative strategy and things like that. And Uh, it was a great job for a while, you know, i learned a lot of really valuable skills and, uh, and, and met a lot of great people, uh, which was the best part about it. And, you know, after a few years, I, and I guess just in my free time, I had been, you know, I've always been doing this kind of 3d motion graphics kind of art stuff in my, in my free time, I've just learned through, through YouTube and other, you know, tutorials and other media like that. And um, so it's always, my life has always been this kind of like, Working a full-time thing to kind of support myself, and then also doing the other stuff that you know I find really fun. And you know, I've always been real big into live music and and concerts, and that has had me traveling all over the place for you know pretty lights shows or Tipper or you know whoever else might catch my eye, I suppose. But um, you know, I was working that job for the last like four years, and it was great. It allowed me to invest in myself and. And really take my artistic craft, the stuff that I that I love to do, seriously. And uh, so I, over the summer, I uh, I decided that I was going to leave that job and I was going to fully pursue my, um, the 3D motion graphics uh, kind of work that I love so much. And uh, I initially was going to be moving to Las Vegas. I had a I had a potential opportunity there with a the company. Um, didn't really work out. I wasn't really solid and uh, you know I wasn't really trying to kind of on a whim move to Las Vegas as, as fun as that might have been um, and then around that same time I had some really great friends uh, open up a spot in their home um, and it just uh, Allie Grimm uh, she goes by A.L. Grimes she's an awesome muralist and her uh, and her partner David Fratu who goes by Ildess um, they had a spot open up in their in their home and they're both incredible artistic people so it just worked out and and my and my girlfriend had also just moved into town which is like really amazing too so it was awesome to be able to be with her and be in a town that has so much going on and uh and so different you know having been on the east coast um but so it kind of you know I didn't didn't fight the opportunity when it arose and I think it's worked out really well so far so
1: you're so relatable
2: I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Working
1: a full-time job to travel around and see people like Pretty Lights and Tipper, man of the people, just like mm-hmm. us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I've always, uh, you know, I, I've i always since, I guess, my first ever show that really, I guess, got me hooked was like the first bass lights that they had done in uh, Hampton Coliseum. I guess there was a Miami one, but the first one at the Coliseum I, I went um, because some friends were going down there there's some guy named bass nectar playing and and of course some guy named pretty lights and you know we went uh to the show like not knowing anything about it and i just i left that event like just forever changed um you know because of just how freaking cool it was and and um you know not knowing that whole world was there and i guess since then and uh i mean i've always been uh, I've always been more of a Pretty Lights uh, person than, than Bass Nectar, but it was, uh, there, it was such a spectacle, though. You know, and it all the people that came together in that place and I've you know, just met so many people through those events and over time, and um, it's just I've just always loved the, the live music and the art that, that goes along with it.
0: Now, were you doing sort of the work you're doing with the visuals and the graphic, the 3D graphics, I think you called it, were you doing that stuff kind of then? Because I know for me, like one of the big things about base lights that really got me hooked was the visual component to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Base nectar definitely had a lot more of the more kind of standard visuals. And then PL, obviously with Greg Ellis, just running these crazy light shows and laser beams mm-hmm. that, you know, you couldn't even comprehend. But was that a big thing for you? Was that a huge source of inspiration? Or were you already kind of on that path yourself at that point?
2: I've, I had been dabbling in some 3D softwares, just kind of really curious about about that stuff like not even really knowing of the the whole kind of like video jockey type occupation in any way really and you know i had i loved the music so much and i really loved experimenting with any sort of 3d software and stuff like that and then i think at some point i started becoming you know more aware that this was kind of something that people do where they created you know video and during the show that would play it and and, um, and mix it live like an instrument and I it just kind of started to come to me that this was you know a great avenue for me to kind of showcase the stuff that I love to make um, but like in a setting that I could also contribute contribute to this musical you know experience that people were having and it, it just made a lot of sense so I guess I, I don't know I think in time maybe I was inspired directly from seeing the video of course the lighting and and just the whole the whole event itself but I think it just kind of like happenstance where it's like okay well this makes a lot of sense I can be a part of the performance and also show people you know the stuff I made so it kind of just fell into place and then I kept pursuing it and you know it, here I am it's just kind of has worked out and and uh I'm really excited about the future of where it could go
1: yeah, I feel like I mean Base Lights was super important and pivotal for me as well and I personally feel like as a consumer someone that doesn't know much about the the visual element besides just like, you know, watching it. I feel like it has mm-hmm. changed a lot since the Base Lights era. Um it's hard for me to articulate why and how as a consumer, but as someone that is making it themselves and as someone that is, you know, very clearly paying attention to that and how it's used at shows, I would love to hear in your own words how you think the medium has evolved since you were first exposed to it at base lights and what it is today
2: mm-hmm, totally i so i think i i totally agree i think that it has evolved a lot and i suppose my exposure to that realm has probably well definitely you know changed a lot as well um i think there were certainly, there's certainly been people making 3D animations for some time. And of course, like pro- programs like Resolume, which is one of the main, like kind of industry standard programs that people use to VJ have been around a long while. Um, but I think as probably as, as gaming computers have become more popular and, and hardware has become more available, you know, which I say with an asterisk uh, during this time period, because it's so hard to find them. But um, I think in time, people have really started to explore that realm and like be really curious and have the capability to create things in that space. And I think, you know, I'd like to think that a lot of people feel the same way and that they love to create this stuff. And there's a there's a niche kind of position where you get to showcase that in in a way that becomes experiential for people. And it's not just, you know, in passing on the internet, you know, somebody may like it or, you know, share it once or something, but it becomes part of the show. Um, So I think it has changed a lot. I think, um, you know, it's awesome to see the diversity that we have, um, you know, among different people's styles, programs like delivery. Um, I think that it's all changed so much. And I think what also has changed that I think has, has been a huge contributing factor, factor to that is that people are appreciating the visual aspect. You know, I think for a lot of people for just so long, it it just, it almost, it almost like didn't even, like people say, whoa, the screen was so cool, but it didn't really click with them that that's a person sitting there, you know, like presenting that. And I think that it's really cool that, um, namely, you know, the Tipper community, they've, they've put a lot of emphasis on and appreciation for people who, create this kind of visual art and um, you know I think that's really great I think a lot of people have found a niche niche uh, in the 3D space and be able to do something really cool with it so yeah and that was
0: something I was actually curious to talk to you about just because I think that you're absolutely correct and that VJ culture is almost becoming uh, more important than it ever has been and you namely do see it where you know, there's a big feature of they're like, hey, like this artist is performing with this VJ and you'll see certain VJs working certain events. We'll talk a lot more about Red Rocks and King's Theater. But then you saw, you know, people like collabing together, which for me, I thought was so cool. You know, I was like, oh, like visual artists like are collabing together. Like I've never even thought about that even being an option. But I guess the question I have for you is like, that sense of collaboration with the VJs, is it a pretty big thing? Like, do you guys all know each other? Are we all hanging, like sharing our work? Like, what is that like for you in this scene?
2: Yeah, totally. I I think, um, you know, a lot of us end up working together in a working capacity, but I I, like, honestly, we're all friends and we all connect. And a lot of us are in a really huge uh, group chat on Facebook. Um, And it's really great. You know, people share their, work that they're, that they're working on experiments, you know, like interesting stuff about software and stuff. And so I, I really think that even beyond the core team, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, but I think even beyond that, there's just this cool growing community that we have of like collaborators and people who share and, and just, you know, cheer each other on because, you know, like yourselves, like a lot of us just have a job. Like we have, we support ourselves by often working like, you know, boring jobs or whatever, but we do this all in our free time. And so I think we all kind of have an understanding that, you know, we do it all because we love it and we're all willing to share. And, uh, and I guess in my direct work, uh, you know, like working with people, I I think it's always, it's always so fun. Um, And like being able to have different styles that, work with each other and and behind the scenes you know we're all just you know just people like homies like chilling out talking about stuff and enjoying the show ourselves you know i think a lot of the times we'll do a show we'll do a you know a, an artist for our set or whatever and part of the fun for us is just sitting back and seeing what everybody else has been up to and just being like man it's so cool that people are you know like we're all just continuing to do this thing and leveling up and it's it's really cool to see your your peers you know, being leveling up all the time, um, and being impressed with that. But, uh, yeah, I know it's, it's a great community of people that, um, really support each other. And like, even to the point of, you know, making sure that people get paid and encouraging people to get paid for events because, um, you know, starting out getting paid, getting paid as a DJ is tough. And then, you know, you, you go in as a VJ, which is some people, you know now at least people are appreciating it but for a long time it was just like hard to even get anybody to pay you anything to to do five six hours of work you know and you might get two drink tickets or whatever but um i think i think as as it's evolving people kind of you know are appreciating the arts the the visual aspect has become into the highlight more or the spotlight and uh you know that's it's getting better um but yeah no i think uh I definitely really enjoy the community that we have, and and you know welcome anybody who who is interested in the in the visual aspect of things to so, you know reach out and get involved, talk to, go up to the VJ when he's uh, maybe in the set break, um but, you know maybe at some point in the night you know ask a question or two, you might learn some cool, meet make a friend. So.
1: So I wanted to go back a minute and ask you um, about something you had said about how you know this is kind of a niche community. And people or artists like Tipper have prioritized the the visual component of um, these performances and of these immersive experiences. But my question is, what do you think it is about the genre itself? We'll call it high fidelity sound design. So, what is it about this genre that like lends itself to these kinds of visuals? Because like I don't know, I dabble in you know many different electronic music genres, and like this. Uh, aesthetic for lack of a better word feels like very specific to like, you know, people who fall under the tipper umbrella. And I'm wondering what you, what is it about like this genre specifically?
2: I would say, I think in a lot of ways, the, the live mixing of visuals can be very experimental. And I think that a lot of people think that it's just, and it can be, you know, uh that it's just hard line, it's gonna work, there's no lag, it's you know, it's stuff like that. And I think when you're dealing with largely experimental music, um, and a focus and or appreciation on people who make animations that are experimental or, or are delivering in this medium that before kind of felt more uh static or in a way, maybe not static, that's not a word, but I think I think on the basis of experimentation or being experimental, I think is where a lot of it comes from. And I think it being such a, a tight knit community, I think that people are willing to really push for the artists in those communities to like be a part of it. Um, I think like this psychedelic kind of style in a way has like lends itself to experimental music also and I think that that has influenced or inspired a lot of artists in the scene too and I think it's yeah I think it's just giving the opportunity and appreciation for artists in in a kind of experimental scene to like do things that sometimes can be pretty experimental I think is is great and has led to you know some of that to come out and be on the forefront.
0: Yeah, I think it's the creativity and like the willingness to fans to piano open and new experiences is definitely a big part of it. And I think another thing that I really appreciate notice about this kind of subscene, if you will, it kind of ties back to like Bill Graham, one of the old promoters that kind of was like the founding people of uh, like rock music and turning just standard rock shows into more of a theatrical element. And I feel like you see a lot of that with Tipper. You know, like I feel like even at like Jade events, like the King Cedar things, you know, it's like. People go and there's not a lot of talking going on, you know, it's like we're there for the visual component and the visual component is like just as all encompassing as the sonic component, you know, so as much as I'm trying to absorb with my ears, you're just seeing so many wonderful images and colors and it's just like, it's such an, like you have to do nothing but focus on what's going on in front of you. There's just like, there's too much going on to not pay attention to the show
2: and I love that. Yeah, I think it really lends itself to the style of music and which often, you know, has a lot of stimulating and interesting sounds and how they come together in this cohesive, but heavy and like, awesome music. You know, I think there's a component of that where it's, like you said, like colorful, visually stimulating, like it kind of really lends itself and becomes a big, like, cohesive experience. And like you said, like, (laughs) you'll look over at some people at like a tipper event and they're just like fully encompassed in the, in the sound and the, and the visual aspect. And I think, you know, delivering that in high fidelity really just creates like an experience for people that, that they notice, you know, they may not notice exactly why, but like, clearly it stands out to these people, what they're doing, what we're doing. Um, and it just makes an impact. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool how the, the music and the visual aspect can kind of lift each other up and, and uh, accelerate it, I guess.
1: So it's very, I find both mediums, honestly, like what I see and what I hear to be to be very abstract and to be very experimental, like you were saying. But I'm wondering uh, for you as like a visual, as I want to call you like a visual storyteller, but are you... Is there a narrative at all, ever, that you're trying to get across, or is it? um, I don't even know what the opposite of that would be. I'm not trying to make it black and white at all, Mm -hmm. but is is there ever a narrative? No, no,
2: totally. Yeah, I think it's that is actually something that I have really. It it takes a shift in focus, I think, um, because as you're learning, as you're learning how to use the softwares that you're creating this stuff, a lot of the times experimentation can lead you in directions that, you know, you had no idea you would go in, you create things that might be, you know, out of the realm of things. But like, that's all part of the learning process, you know, and I think it's important not to stifle that. And I think like, in time, you start to figure out what you like, what you maybe don't like anymore, or something that you don't think fits per se into what you're doing. And I think in time, you start to refine that, as far as narrative, I, I think that's something that I'm really challenging myself to create to, to because when you're, you know, when you're doing this performance, you have an hour or whatever it is to tell a story. And I, I think that there's so much value in being able to do that for so many people because in that moment, you know, that could be something that they remember forever. And I think it, it's not an easy thing to, craft an entire body of work uh with a particular message behind it um and in time it like i said it's just kind of trying to make enough content to sit there for two hours and 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 not have to repeat stuff you know it kind of doesn't feel good when you have to you know i don't know repeat things but uh yeah i think that's something i'm really challenging myself to do i'd really like to create a narrative and and even based off of you know the particular event that I'm doing, whether it's in New York City or whether it's in, you know, a cave or some, you know, like something like that. It's it's cool to be able to have enough time to think about narratives when you come to that. But um, as far as my overall narrative, I I feel like I'm evolving uh, so much right now. So I'm really trying to keep the narrative in mind as the, as I continue to experiment and kind of grow my body of work and and do the thing. But I I think it's I think the narrative is such a is such a great idea in the in the stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's like another thing too that
0: I've just I'm I'm really curious about a lot of things. I guess that's why we have a podcast where we ask all these (laughs) questions. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the musicians that you work with, you know, I feel like a big part of telling a narrative is you know based off how well you know that musician and if you kind of know what they're going to play. Is that kind of how it operates within this community? Like, do you have any heads up or is it mostly like, I know the visuals I have. I know the moments they match up with. So when I hear something, it's going to like sound like what it should look like. I'll cue up that kind of visual for that.
2: Mm-hmm. I think uh, in an ideal world, that would be the case. And I think it depends. I-, I think like, you know, if you've got plenty of time before the event is booked and you know the artist you're going to be doing, like, that's great. You can reach out and kind of get a better idea. I would say that far more times out of than not, uh, it's just completely improvisational, which, you know, is not ideal because yeah, it's kind of even crazier. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to really do your homework and go and listen to all of that artist's music. At least in my experience, it's just been kind of just Going and listening to every song on their SoundCloud, Bandcamp, everything, and just being able to, you know, prep your work and hear hear audio cues and be able to do it. But largely, I, I would say that it's completely improvisational. And in a live setting, I can say almost completely it's improvisational, uh, which is very difficult. But um, it's, <laughs> it's 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 uh, yeah, lots of adrenaline going. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was already impressed by you, but like now. Just... <laughs> Thanks. And I, and I would say like, honestly, most, most VJs can, can relate to that. I mean, I think, especially yeah, it's when, insane. yeah, it's just mostly improv. And I think it lends itself to like having control over your content and being able to navigate to the stuff that you want to play at that moment, I think is like one of the most important things that, uh, you know, even I struggle with sometimes and, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a wild ride sometimes for sure. Damn. Well, if you're ready, I feel like I got to jump in and talk to you
0: about this Red Rock experience. Cause sure. I am just still that show and that whole weekend was just something that really blew my mind. And one of the things I thought would be interesting to hear how you felt about it was in particular after night one and just like to step back, you know, for the listener, maybe not everyone that went to tip of Red Rocks, but night one was billed as beats night and then night mm-hmm. two was bangers night but after beats night it, everybody like the common consensus and the question you heard was like if that was beats like what the fuck are bangers because <laughs> night one was heavy mm-hmm. so what was the sense of anticipation like for you after night one coming into like night two being like yo like i'm throwing down bangers night let's get it how are you feeling going into that
2: yeah i I felt the same way. Honestly, I was, you know, cause I wasn't working that night. So I got to, you know, meet like say hi to people and like see my friends uh, that had come out to support me and stuff. And yeah, I mean, after the show, I was like, holy smokes. Like if that's beats, then yeah. What is bangers? Cause you know, the tipper, I feel like whenever, whenever he plays, it's like half new music, half or like half VIPs of stuff, you know, there's always like it's always different and so i after night one i had heard a ton of music that i recognized and a ton of music that i didn't recognize and so by the time night two was coming out i was like oh my god i have no idea what what he's gonna play and um and yeah i mean night two was just like back to back to back uh craziness did not (laughs) end yeah it was uh that was pretty insane yeah, absolutely wild.
0: Some of the things I was seeing, because it was you and datagrams, so like hats off to you guys. Uh yeah, wow. I remember some of the tunneling sequences you guys had. And it's like mm-hmm. I feel like you could say the same for you know the visual artists in that sense, where it's like you see some similar designs, but the changes mm-hmm. you make within those, you know, they're gonna be so much fresher and so much more grandiose than maybe you've seen them before. And I think that definitely held true.
2: hmm Yeah, and I, I think that uh I, I look. First of all, I guess props to Joao uh, from Datagramma. He's awesome. We've been friends. We did a couple shows a few years ago, both uh, him and Theron, who is uh, kind of a more technical programming aspect of, of Datagramma and Synesthesia, but both incredible, incredible VJs and artists and, and, and creators. And um, it was really awesome to be able to work on such a, such a sick show with, you know, with Joao. Unfortunately, Theron couldn't join us for that particular occasion um but you know joao and i made it happen with a little assistance as well from andrew hunter the void uh, another great good friend of mine uh colleague in the in the visual art community um so we all got together and you know got planned a little bit and uh there are always you know hiccups or whatever happens but at the end of the day you know it was it's such a such a sick experience to be able to do that and uh i was really grateful to be able to do it with such um great friends and I guess to your point of uh you know as far as content I think it's it is cool to see things like evolve and and honestly that whole performance was a completely different body of work that I had created basically for that event um so that was another challenge and and to the point of you know keeping things interesting and and stuff like that but I um I guess my aim is to get to a point of cohesivity with the content to the point where like, it's not just this scene was this clip or this song was this scene. This song was this scene, this song. Like I I envision this system that I can use that is cohesive. Like say someone like Toss visuals, who's an incredible visual artist uh, from somewhere in Europe, but he's, he's a, He's really crazy. He does a lot of, uh, like Psytrance, uh, music visualizers. I'm sure a lot of people can, or maybe as well, uh, recognize his stuff, but I, I envision a, a system that's cohesive that I can flow things in and out of where it feels fresh, but it also feels familiar whenever you come back. And, um, it was interesting to be able to use some of that and, and, uh, show some of the content I've been working on for that system. But uh, it like I said the music was was so crazy that, you know I I feel like when you do these gigs like oftentimes you just you almost like black out at the beginning of it or like once it starts to get into this stuff you just kind of like dissociate and you're just in so much concentration and then by the time it's over it's like that was awesome or like that was cool but like you don't remember you know like hardly anything <laughs> so it's um I don't know. I, I think it was, it was a really sick experience. And had you asked me even a year or two ago, if I had ever, you know, thought that would happen, me doing visuals uh, for Tipper at Red Rocks, I would have probably laughed. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. And I'm really grateful for that.
1: Well, how did it happen? Like, how did you get linked up with that crew?
2: So I had been, uh, I had been sharing my work and, you know, i would become homies with, like, people like Andrew, Joao, like, through different, like, events that I've done, and also Harrison, Droid Visuals, and Joe, uh, Tenorless, uh, just through different gigs and, you know, sharing stuff online and Instagram and stuff, and just talk with them, and, you know, they... I guess had put in a good word to Dave just over time of like the stuff that I was working on and 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 Cullen, Cullen Hassel, you know, also incredible, mm-hmm. incredible artist. Um, I think you know, him as well put in a good word. And you know, I got a call one day, uh, from other Dave, uh, and you know, he asked me if I, want, I guess he asked me if I wanted to do. tipper at red rocks and i was a phone call (laughs) my god it was uh if you ever get a chance (laughs) to meet dave um you know it was a very suspenseful conversation because dave loves to to catch up on things uh before we get into the nitty-gritty but yeah it was like it was yeah it was a crazy phone call i would i remember where i was and i was just like hell yeah i'll I'll freaking do that and then it was like immediately dread of like oh shit i got a I got to really prepare for this thing. You know, This is like a big deal. Um, and then it was also like, I wanted to tell people, I wanted to tell my friends, but like, it hadn't been announced and it didn't get announced until very short before the event. But yeah, I don't know. It was just very exciting, you know? And uh, so just, you know, just, like I said, just reaching out to people, like having conversations about similar problems that you're having with software or things that you learned and found cool. It's like, that's how I became friends with any of them. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, everybody's been in it in the thick of it, or like, been on the way where they're, they're skilled, and they want to do this thing, but they just need the right opportunity. It's like most people, at least I've been lucky in my life that that people have given me the opportunity to you know show what i do show what i love to do and uh and that was a really crazy freaking opportunity that i had so um yeah it's amazing yeah i mean i'm sure first to many bud <laughs> let's hope <laughs> i look forward to it yeah because i mean
0: after that the king's theater weekend happened i think there's only like a couple of months in between the two so what is it like kind of transitioning from a big show like that out in Colorado, like at a place like Red Rocks, and then going to this, like, it's a, it's a known venue within the Tipper community, I feel like, but, you know, I feel like it's still a pretty new venue for this space, you know, in terms of breaking it in with our crowd and like what that general vibe is like. So what was, were any big differences for you logistically with setting up
2: between going from Red Rocks to Kings? Yeah. So I feel like, um, so for what I do, I, I, all of the work that you see um, and all the stuff that I pres- present at shows, it's all, it's all real time rendered. So nothing that I present is a pre-rendered like video clip per se. It's all being generated my, from my computer directly out onto the screen. Um, so because of that, I, I need a lot of processing power with my computers and traveling can be really tough sometimes um as far as like flying and checking expensive stuff and stuff like that and also just like evolving with like how much processing do i need how much can i get away with and so my setup is continuing to evolve and that comes with its own um you know traveling with big cases and stuff like that but it's nothing new i guess to the performance space but um yeah i mean it was crazy to go from such a huge outdoor venue with so many people which was insane to look up at and then uh you know going to such a beautiful theater like the king's theater and you know a couple years ago whenever tipper did the tips giving shows there like like i said like if you had told me that i in a couple years was going to be playing at this insanely ornate and beautiful theater like it, it was just like i would have laughed like it you know maybe one day maybe one day i'll do that but um yeah it was interesting it's uh i'm still very new to this you know like big venue type thing like i'm like you know for many years i did shows like at bars and just random stuff like that and you know might get a hundred bucks maybe two hundred um And, you know, at the time you're learning those drink tickets and the drink tickets. Yeah. You can't forget, forget about the drink tickets. Very important. (laughs) Yeah. So it's cool to, you know, go to a place like King's and like have my own dressing room. And I goes, Oh, cool. I got a couple of Modellos in the fridge. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, um, it's very much still a, a new thing to me and um, it's very fun. It, it can be really stressful, especially as the crowds get bigger. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's cool. It's really cool that people appreciate, you know, what I create. And I hope that, you know, people, I just, I just strive to do something different if I can, you know, um, and just whatever, whatever I think is fun. It's like solving puzzles and then people get to like, admire it later and be like, that's cool. And I'm like, thank you. I built that you know, but like, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting space to be in for sure.
1: So to what extent can you use your surroundings to influence or like enhance your medium? Like, you know, you were at an outdoor space and then you were at an indoor space. And like, I've seen, you know, I, I know you're, everyone's obviously like looking at a screen for the most part, mm-hmm. but I imagine as someone that does not do this for a living, but it's like, you know, you use the word ornate for King's theater, mm-hmm. right? Like, I feel like there is potential opportunity there to take advantage of the space itself and i've seen you know i've been at places that do like projection mapping and stuff mm-hmm. so yeah like c- can you take advantage of those spaces
2: yeah absolutely and and like you know with the tips giving uh shows at the king's theater a few years ago um the Datagrama boys and and they just they mapped the whole like facade of the king's theater and that was oh, probably nice it was amazing. It was like, they had these fluid shaders that were mapped on the, on the drapes that, that went over the stage. And it was honestly so incredible. And like such a, such a unique, uh, enhancement to this already beautiful space. And, you know, even to that point, you know, at Red rocks too, like Joao with, yeah. the, with the projections on the trees, uh, you that know, was crazy first, first night. It's just, it's incredible what he does and, and what they do. And I have the, the utmost respect for for them and what they've, you know, shared with me and stuff. So I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different ways, like with projection or with, you know, video cameras or, you know, lasers to some extent. I'm, you know, I feel like lasers are one of those like acquired taste type things, but um, yeah, I think with, I think time and preparation, I think has a lot to do with those kinds of things, being able to visit a site before you're standing there about to go on you know i think is is one way or is kind of important but uh i think access to equipment like big projectors and things like that can also get a little pricey as you you know get in bigger and bigger spaces but it really is cool to like be able to think about the space that you're in and how that can be enhanced you know with even just light and and be even more a part of the experience. And I think that, you know, you have people like Joao and Darren and and you know, even like W and things like that that are and Jonathan Singer, of course, like, you know, doing the second night with his projections too was awesome. Like, you know, it was tough to <laughs> see, I guess, like from the booth of Red Rocks, but uh another great he's a freaking goat, you know, like uh and and he I, I think a lot of the community owes maybe not owes, I don't think he would say anybody owes him anything, but you know he was an influential figure he's doing tipper's visuals for for many years and um i think that has led a lot to the community that we see today as well.
1: Yeah, that's something i wanted to ask you is who some of your influencers have been? We've talked a lot about like who you collaborate with currently, but uh, but you know aside from Jonathan Singer, who are some of your other influences?
2: Um i think i think that i get influence from a lot of the people that I work with, a lot of people that I don't work with, I I think that people think because you, you know, have done some of the big gigs that you don't necessarily look at your peers and, you know, get inspired. But like, there's so much incredible art that people post that I'm inspired from all the time. Uh, You know, I, of course, like I said, like Joao and I, I, I focus on a lot of the real time stuff. And so there are, you know, certain people like who do that particular style um joe uh who goes by tenorless uh i'm just always impressed and and inspired by him um you know everyone i work with so many people on instagram as well um i just you know from all over the world the people from germany or romania or the u.s like south america brazil like you know it it there's so much influence in, in what i do and uh i think there's a a really cool community of of real time artists that, um, you know, I, I really appreciate that because it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, especially when you get into like the software programming side of it. Um, so it's tough to say, but I I think that, uh, there's a lot of, lot of influences from a lot of places. And I, I really do enjoy sharing people's work on, on Instagram as much as I can.
1: Definitely. And one thing I've noticed about, Maybe this niche community we're talking about is that it it kind of seems like Tipper, for example, it's like you know sometimes he'll collaborate with Android Jones, sometimes he'll do Jonathan Singer, sometimes it'll be you, you know, like it it switches. But there are some people in the community that like always work with the same guy, like Pretty Lights, like always works with Greg Ellis, and like you know STS Nine, they've had their you know their their lighting guys like for for years at a time, and it's not as like there's not as much of a, a switch up. So what are your what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think it's um, the the ability to get to know someone on a creative level and on a personal level. I think is really valuable, and having the time to be able to you know talk and have a Zoom or get on Discord and talk ideas and share things and stuff like that. I, I think that is just super valuable, and I, I definitely understand, you know, why certain artists do that because when you, when you get down to it, you know, there, there there's so much time that goes on behind the scenes to prepare for one hour of performance, you know, and I think the more that you can get to know those people and get, and have them get to know you and, and, and be able to tell where they're going or where you're going during the performance and stuff, I think is super valuable. And, and, um, I've, I do feel blessed that you know, Dave uh, Veller and and also Dave Tipper, you know, have given opportunities to so many, you know, like so many artists to, to visually represent them for that moment, even if it's, you know, not the same as it was last time. And I think people enjoy that really. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I would like to be at some point, some kind of resident um, part of a performance, just from a sense of like, you know when you make content you kind of have to make content that will fit with like a ton of different stuff and, and especially starting out you know you're just trying to get any gig you can and you might get thrown on with like a dubstep artist and then you might get thrown on with the kind of like a kind of psychedelic type thing or like drum and bass it, you know it varies so much when you're like starting out um but then i guess as you refine your style and it becomes a little bit more solidified then maybe you start to get people who pair you with particular music artists because of the music mm. that they make and i think that's like the stage that i'm maybe getting into where it's it's kind of getting together and you know it can feel apart like maybe closer tied to the music um but i would like to i would like to be able to work on one project and be like okay this is the kind of the style that we're going for this is like what we do and I can sit there and brainstorm things that fit in that system um because kind of tossing stuff up in the air on the fly can be really difficult sometimes but um yeah I I think it's I think it's great to have a great team of people that that know you and know your style and and creates a lot of cohesivity in, in the performance are there any artists that are out there now that you think you could
0: see yourself kind of doing that with, or is that still a little bit down the road from you? Uh
2: you know, I I don't know. I guess I I'm really open to working with a lot of different artists and and I I feel like a lot of the stuff that I create, especially if I create stuff for social media, it's like it's just basically me listening to artist music and and finding just a moment where I've created something and it fits with the music that I'm listening to because I just love that music and I'll just like snip it and put it out and a lot of it is very kind of like off the cuff um, just out of a just a flow state that you get into list like just going deep into someone's SoundCloud or something like that um, so I don't know I guess I'm very much like in kind of a discovery phase of where I want to go I I love like I said I love working with real time uh a lot like I would love to be in some sort of audiovisual performance and I think that there are certain artists that kind of lend themselves to that particular style um or I guess medium so I don't know I I uh I guess the the world the world is still or the ideas, uh, I guess, of who I want to work with are still pretty open. Um, so, anybody out there, hit me up <laughs> if you're, if you're uh, if you like what I do.
1: It's cool to hear you describe it that way, and I feel like I now have a greater appreciation for seeing musicians with different visual artists and hearing you describe how like you really do your homework and like immerse yourself in their discography. Because now I understand that like the visual representation is truly that person, whoever's VJing, it's like their interpretation of the music. And I don't I don't see it that way. It's like I don't I don't know if you would describe it as like seeing sound. You know what I mean? It's 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 like a it's like a sensory experience of it, but like I just don't interpret things that way. So it's 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 really cool to hear you to hear that from you.
2: Yeah, and I think that we all have our body of work or what we think is cool or, you know, what is technically challenging that no one else can do or what makes your you know your style unique or whatever and um it is it is very personal i think um in some senses for a lot of people because like i said you you a lot of the times it's not like one particular person hiring you to do this vj thing you know if if there is that's awesome uh you know great for you um but a lot of the people i feel like are just creating things and learning experiments, and it kind of turns into this content that they have available, and um, being able to kind of refine that into like something specific, I think, is a is a really awesome way to refine your style in a lot of ways. Um, but it, is, yeah, it is kind of a reflection of of all of us and what we think is cool, I guess.
1: Now, do you have a dream venue or like festival, maybe, that you would like to perform at?
2: Uh, I would love to go to the gorge. Uh, the gorge would be sick. Um, you know, even to just freaking go, it'd be awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was incredibly blessed this last year. I, I had knocked off the King's theater in Red Rocks in the same year and I'm just like, holy, like, like, what do I, I don't even know what to, what to do now. I, I feel like, um, you know the i guess it's i don't know i don't know if i have any specific venues that i i really want to go to i think like red rock red rocks and the king's theater were like some of my like the top two and i like not that i would love to do them again that would be awesome but um you know i guess i'm open to to really whatever the future holds yeah, I think that's the fun thing with like having Kings or venue like
0: King Cedar kind of just be in the mix is it really opens the door of the kind of places you could play, where I feel like for a really long time, this music was like, you know, and like, you had to rent out some fucking studio and some back street, and you know, and you just got like mm-hmm. someone brings in a sound rig, but like now it's just like, it's so official. And it's mm-hmm. like, cool, when that's that feels fucking sweet to see like how much like the scene is just, like well respected. And I feel like right now there's like a lot more people paying attention to it. Maybe that's post COVID or whatnot. But yeah, it really does feel like the sky's the limit, just kind of for what this scene can do and what you know, visual and or
2: musicians can do together. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of happens next. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the the people that surround the event that you're doing, I think in a lot of ways, kind of matters. Uh, for sure. In a lot of ways, because like you could be playing at a sweet venue, but it's kind of like behind the scenes, you're stressed or whatever. Um, I, I've been blessed that it hasn't been that way with the last couple of shows that I've done, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many, so many beautiful venues that I probably haven't even heard of that hopefully at some point I'll get to play in and, and I'm open, open for it.
0: Yeah, so you actually just kind of touched on something I wanted to ask you about in terms of like, you know, the crews that you work with being a part of a really successful event. And I feel like some of the three like most recent big events I've been to, obviously COVID kind of jumps in there and breaks up the timeline, but it was Jade Cicada's like PlayStation Theater show and then Tipper Red Rocks and then these King's Theater runs. And what particularly stood out to me is just like how efficiently they run. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like from a fan perspective, like they seem well thought out, like highly intentional, and it just seems like it's almost like, I don't even know if I want to say it's a fan first curation because I feel like they obviously do a lot of the stuff they do. So that makes your job easier is the artists. Mm-hmm. So would you say that kind of holds true with like the Tipper team where they're putting together things and it's like just as much of a breeze for you guys as it is for a fan to go
2: to? I would say, I think a lot of what you're kind of explaining is, is Dave Veller, who is Tipper's manager, other Dave, I, I think that he really has a keen ability to understand what people like. And sometimes it's even before they know that they like it. And I think that he has been around a, a long time as, you know, with Tipper and otherwise. And I think that he has such a huge part in curating the events that we all do. Uh, I, it's a huge un- undertaking um and he handles a lot and i respect him for it um because there's a lot of behind the scenes that i think people don't maybe understand or or you know it's just it's just a lot to organize events like that yeah the business side of things i'm sure right right and logistics and and things like that but uh he does a good job to make sure that it is a community and it's not just like oh you're here to do your job and get out you know he like you know, anytime we talk on the phone, he always asks, you know, how I'm doing, explains, you know, what he's up to and stuff like that, shoots ideas and whatnot. So I guess it takes a lot to run those events. And I think, like I said, like Dave is a huge part of that and he's seen what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, he's able to kind of book and organize accordingly. And I think, you know, it, it feels like he does a great job and he always treats us, uh, well and and makes sure we're taken care of and stuff so um i really uh have had pleasant experiences working with the tipper uh tipper management um and the events they they do an awesome job and shows so you know
0: it's great does seem like when you put all the
2: right people in the right place things are just bound to happen well Mm -hmm. and i think that he is a good job he does a good job of seeing people who not only will go there to do the job, but will also, you know, like, enjoy being there and are part of the community. And I think he's always actively looking for more people in the community. And I think, like, I'm a testament to that, I, you know, I've been sharing stuff and making random stuff for like years, you know, and like, as far as a vjing, I, you know, I've been doing that for, I guess, less long time that I've been making 3d stuff. But, um, You know, you just share your stuff and like people do take notice and your friends share, and you know, you share your homies' stuff and the right eyes see it and you end up doing incredible things. And I think that people, you know, it's not always gonna be awesome. You're not always gonna be getting paid. Um, I think even when you think you should you don't need to get paid, you should be getting paid. I'm a very adamant uh I don't know, advocate for people getting paid for doing their work and their art. Um, but um, yeah, share your stuff. You never know who will see it, or you never know what friends you'll make, and they'll they'll give you an opportunity, and you get to get to show your stuff.
1: I love that. Um, I have a very random question, if you guys don't mind pivoting. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I I'm just gonna preface this by saying that I know literally nothing about NFTs. Like I couldn't even <laughs> tell you what it stands for. I don't like. I just I have no idea what it is, but. No. I feel like I have seen some VJs within this community. I don't even know how to ask the question I want to ask. That's how little I know about it, but like I feel like some visual artists are entering the NFT space in some capacity. So if if you know anything about this or if you're experimenting mm-hmm. it with it or considering it yourself, I would love to kind of hear about it because it's very unique. Or if you're also on my page and you're like, I don't fucking know what that is, we don't even have to talk about it.
2: <laughs> no, totally. It's um it's really. I think initially I had a lot of doubts about it, um, and to the point, I think I, you know, was even vocal sometimes about how it was kind of, you know, using a lot of energy, which is not incorrect, but um, I think relativity is a big word there. Um, but at the same time, you know, for for many many years, digital art was just like nobody hardly valued it because it was digital. I could go and save it on my phone. I could do a screenshot or whatever. And like, there was no real rebuttal to any of that, unfortunately. And, you know, you have people who were sharing their incredible art on DeviantArt for like, you know, decade, like probably over a decade and like getting nothing for it really. Um, and then you see NFTs become popular and it's, it's finally... Uh, it finally gives you the ability to commodify or, you know, to in some way sell this digital piece of art and not in a sense of like, only you can see the pixels of this particular piece of art, you know, and at its very basis, NFTs are, at least to my understanding, are it's just a serial number for a piece of art. And I think that there's a lot of conflated explanations of, what an NFT is, and this, that, and the other, but it's it's just really a, and the ability to itemize, you know, something digital. It doesn't even have to be art. Uh, you know, you could you could mint your house as an NFT, and you would always have a publicly available ledger of you know the price of your house or whatever. You know, there's a there's a ton of use cases for it. and the blockchain. You know, all different. There's a ton of different blockchains out there that you can do and you can mint to a lot of them and and um you know they all have their different perks they have the different communities uh personally i i never have i haven't gone crept into the ethereum nft realm uh i think like initially my with them being a proof of work system it basically is a system that takes a lot of energy in order to drive the blockchain forward um i wasn't really into that uh you know, which hurt hurt a lot of times because you could see all, you know, people selling artworks for insane amounts of money. And and all I had, you know, it's just, that's awesome for you. Like, you know, I, I love that, that I've seen artists that have worked for so long. For instance, like Steve McCory, like he's been a long time, you know, friend of mine, like colleague, art colleague over the internet. And we've shared stuff before, even all the VJ stuff and whatnot. We had just, I think we had, somehow connected in like a resolum group or something, but um, it really is incredible. Like knowing how much that he helped me and how he's helped so many other people and giving them software and, 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 and helping them out with tips and stuff. It's, it's really incredible to see like artists, um, you know, really get to benefit from, from selling NFTs and getting in early on the ground level for that kind of stuff. And, and just even just any of my friends in general, like seeing them sell their art and getting something for it, like and it's a, an appreciating asset, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see. So the whole digital art space, I think, has transformed to the point where a lot of people are sick of hearing about it. But you know, if, if you're making art for a decade, and you never see anything for it, it's, it changes your whole world, you know, and it's, um, it really, it is really incredible. I think that there's a lot of kinks to be worked out, and they are being worked out. Um, but Personally, I've always kind of taken interest into platforms that use proof of stake, which is a lot more efficient. It doesn't take a ton of energy. The prices of NFTs are way lower, but honestly, I think they're way more reasonable in my opinion. You know, like, am I going to go buy a a $40,000, you know, piece of artwork on OpenSea? No. Am I going to buy an $8 sick-ass piece of art on, you know, Hick at Nunk or object.com or something, you know, yeah, that seems reasonable. It seems like something that it could like hold its value in the long run. Um, I've, I am a little skeptical about a lot of the market. um, And I think a lot of it is kind of inflated, um, you know, but it's all subjective, I suppose. But for me, I always felt that, you know, putting stuff out for a reasonable price that people could actually afford and not have it cost like $150 to even like mint, you know, like it just seemed more reasonable for it to me. So that's been where I've been so far. Um, I do have plans to, you know, create a, a metaverse space where people can come and socialize and like sh- trade NFTs and have events and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm working on that. Uh, I think as some of these big companies like, you know, Facebook now meta, you know, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be seeing a lot of different platforms that come out that will allow people to create spaces like that. So trying to get ahead of the game uh, and kind of like be on my own thing. And I think ultimately the social aspect of, of getting people all in the same space, whether it be virtually or in real life. And being able to have those people promote the things that they're creating and selling i think is like a huge benefit to like a ton of people and you get to have a really cool experience going to see some artists in a virtualized space you know so it's something that i've definitely taken a real big interest in because it's it's becoming more and more you know here it's like already here so um, you know might as well get into it so
1: that kind of relates to another question I was gonna ask you. Uh when you were talking about virtual space and gathering in virtual space, uh for me as a consumer, during the pandemic, when there were all of these live streams, I feel like the people who really did it right, like the Rust, for example, when they would put you know, they would curate an evening. And you know, obviously like the Jade Cicada ambient mix is what I'm gonna reference. But that was one of those immersive experiences that only you know, obviously it wasn't quite the same as like a live show, but you know, given the limitations that we had, it, I kind of had a similar experience to what Wes was saying early on in this episode where, you know, the the combination of the music and the visuals, like it makes you pay attention. Because if I'm just like listening to music in my house, like I can be on my phone, I can read, I can do anything. But like mm-hmm. these live streams really made me kind of pay attention to what I was watching, too. So I wonder as a, you know, like as a visual artist, like how did the nature of your work work? change during the pandemic?
2: Well, the pandemic was obviously a uh, very frustrating and kind of, uh, you know, a lot going on. Nothing, nothing needs to be said about that. Um, I will say, I really do appreciate the community that we have in that people were able to see that getting together and doing the things that we love was no longer a viable thing that we could do without putting without causing risk to the people that we love. And I think, you know, having the community be able to come together and find a, a viable alternative, you know, at least for the time to continue doing those things and raising funds and, and promoting artists that are in this community that honestly more people were getting opportunities. I feel like during that time, than a lot of people do in like, real lifetimes you know like in in non-pandemic whatever um and so i think a lot of people did get some time to kind of like shine and do their thing and i think there was a lot of like silver linings to that from a artistic sense and you know you had groups like the rust or you know couch fest or couch fam uh, coming together and doing, and, or spread, uh, you know, there was a big one in, in Richmond, uh, run by my girlfriend, wonderful girlfriend, Emily Himes. She, she organizes a group called spread. And we had a ton of people in the city come together and do our own live stream of all these local artists. And, uh, it turned out really well. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to coordinate. And, um, so I really appreciate all of the people that came together in that time to, to do those things, because during the pandemic, like, those shows like I honestly think a lot of those I will remember forever because you know you just had such incredible music paired with incredible visuals and you're here with your friends being able to to talk and you know drink beer and like be able to do something fun that we had all missed like but together still and like be in the chat like saying dumb you know whatever um in a time where that was just the best that we could do and it was awesome and I think that uh I think it's a I think we'll start to see a lot more of that in the next couple of years, um, especially with, you know, Oculus's the, the quest and everything being a lot more uh, widely sold. I think like there were more Oculus quests sold than PS fives this last year or something. So I think in the next like few years, as these platforms get together, there's going to be a lot more, I think, truly virtualized spaces that we're going to see. And I think it'll be really interesting to see like what, what people put together for those. I think it will too. I've like often thought about the future
0: of shows in terms of the VR space because I feel like there's just no avoiding it at this point. And I think the one thing that you just would always need to have from a real show is just that thumping system, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you can't be sitting in, you could, but, you know, it's not going to be like Vero's in your living room. You know, you couldn't have that. If you could fucking call
2: me because I'm coming over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that was something that, you know ultimately a lot of people still missed and i think that there's not really that many ways to replace that i think like people just love feeling that base like in front of them i think that's why a lot a big reason why a lot of us come together and go to these shows because we just love that shit you know (laughs) excuse my french but um you know i think immersion in different ways will start to evolve and um I think with AR and things like that, where VR being basically you put on a headset and you're completely surrounded in this world. Whereas AR is, you know, you may put on a goggles or some kind, but you're seeing the real world, but augmented on top of it, you may see like different models in your room, like models being, you know, different objects and like dragons flying around and things like that. Um, and I think in time, hopefully COVID will subside or whatever. Um, and you know we'll start to see a lot of AR experiences coming to shows that we know hopefully that doesn't mean everybody in the crowd on their phone you know like just looking at their phone but I think uh, looking ahead it, it will be a lot more integrated into what we know as like music festivals or different events I, I think it's only growing in possibility and popularity and I think in a few years you're probably going to want to bring that phone charger to the music festival because like there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that you can't see without one but um yeah I think it's really exciting the times in some in this aspect uh that we live in um and a uh, a compromise of staying at home but also being able to be in a really sick virtualized space is pretty cool in my book so hopefully we'll see a lot more of that
1: yeah the scene is already so immersive like I can't even fathom it getting more immersive than it already is, but I'm here for it. Plug me in, as Wes and I like to say. We, Wes and I joke like, anytime we're having a bad day, I'm just like, Ugh, unplug me from the matrix. But I'll, <laughs> Someone I'm like, please. I'll get plugged in for this one. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think we'll, I think we'll even continue to be even more plugged in, which uh, hopefully we'll get a healthy grasp on. But uh, I think, I think it'll be really cool to see um, where these technologies start to go. Yeah, I mean I think my only experience
0: with augmented reality it shows is this girl who was rolling tits at Base Nectar and Electric Forest gave me this little <laughs> set of glasses that had all the lights look like the little hearts. And I was like, Well, this
2: is nice. yeah and That I was about that as deep as I got in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think uh if that's the, if that's the bar then I think you're going to be really excited for some of the stuff that, that it's a very low bar. (laughs) (laughs) We all love the fractal glasses. I will say guilty pleasure of many of us. Um, and I think like it won't be a big VR headset. It'll be something like those glasses that we can just put on and, and be in this whole augmented space. And I think it's coming soon. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting
0: in a glasses where I've just been waiting for like you know I don't know if you ever watched Ned's Declassified School Survival <laughs> Guy but my guy Cookie was like the yeah, little the flip down pewter <laughs> I'm saying like where's my heads up display come on
2: I know I we get so frustrated by now yeah I get so frustrated with my glasses I'm like oh man I want LASIK but then I'm like wait a second I'm gonna be putting on AR glasses as soon as I fix my eyes so I don't know we'll see but yeah, Damn, I
0: hadn't even thought about that. But now I got that to way too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, glasses, glasses gang. Out here, just not seeing shit, but we out here. <laughs> yeah, It's tough to, to do something that very much involves my eyes and being far away from the stage. Uh, I feel like you end up looking at your screen more than you do at the, which is not always good. But, you know, it's a. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. You need your eyes. Very important. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's a pretty good question though.
0: Cause like, what is a creation session for you? Like, like are your eyes bleeding by the time you're like walking out of a room or do you do okay with that side of things?
2: Yeah. If I'm, it's, it's tough because you have like blue light filter on your screen or whatever. But then when, as soon as you turn that on, all of the colors are shifted. So it's kind of something where if I'm just doing mindless stuff, Uh, I'll turn off the blue light filter, but if I need to like, see the colors and see what's going on, uh, you know, I'll I'll just go regular. I, a lot of the programs these days that you create for 3d software, thankfully are like kind of like in dark mode, um, for the most part. So that helps a lot. I think my eyes are probably used to staring at screens all the time. Uh, even more so than, you know, a lot of all of us really, but, um, breaks I have learned in the last few years are very, very important. And, uh, it's hard to separate yourself from something that you're like in the zone, you know, it's like, you're in the middle of solving a puzzle. The last thing you want to do is like, put it down and, and do it. But if it means that you can solve that puzzle for three hours more than you would have had you not stopped, then, you know, it's, it's worth it. So it's a, it's a healthy balance. I'm honestly struggling with, I, you know, like I said, i worked a full-time job and then I wouldn't even have to leave my desk because we were working from home and then I would just like go right into my touch designer thing and I did that for like three and a half years or whatever and so I'm very much for my for my own sake trying to find a healthy a healthy balance of breaks taking care of myself you know putting it down Uh, I think it's like super important I'm really learning the value of that
0: I, mean, I think a lot of us are. I think that's especially true after, you know, the COVID world, just kind of realizing how burnt out and tight everybody was. So mm-hmm. do you have any favorite self-care things you've been doing? Because I can put you on some face masks. It'll change your life.
2: Oh, yeah, please. I am. A, I am open to any and everything. Um, I over the pandemic, I well, I guess a better way of saying is like a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, I got myself a standing desk. Uh, which has been like a huge game changer because for a while it was like, you can either be productive or you can stand up. And like, in order to work, you have to sit down and like sitting is so bad for you. It's like so bad for your back. And like, I have definitely started to feel the effects of that. And so getting a standing desk was great. Um, it just, it'll, it, sitting is just like, I have just learned it's just so bad and I'm trying to take care of myself, you know, stretch out every once in a while and, and keep myself active. But, um, that, that's been the biggest thing for me. Um, drinking water. It's another big one. <laughs> we, we love that stuff. Um, love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, believe me, I'm open to open to any sort of self-care because, it's a super important. Hell yeah.
0: Well, I mean, off that note, if you're ever in San Francisco, Elizabeth put me on to go into the Russian Banya, which is like mm. God-tier level self-caring. You deserve
2: nice. that for yourself. Oh, well, that sounds amazing. I'm going to look into that. Thank you, Elizabeth, for putting us on.
1: Well, I mean, I, I am out of questions. You have answered all of my questions and educated me on many different things. I feel like I have a, a new an additional perspective. I kind of have the experience where it's like, I usually listen to music, but then like when I, you know, get the experience of like having like the visuals, I'm like, oh, it's so much more immersive. And like, I have that experience from this conversation where it's like, I'm familiar with the music, but now having spoken to you, it's like I have a more immersive understanding of something I already like. So I'm really grateful for that.
2: Well, that's awesome. I, I'm I'm really grateful for both of you for just allowing me to, to come on here and, and speak and, and just let people know that like, yeah, we're all we're all just, you know people and we and we just like making that stuff and like it really does mean the world to to all of us that when people you know appreciate what we do and allow us to speak our mind or speak how we think about these things and um yeah i'm super grateful thank you both for you know having me on the podcast and uh, it's it's been really awesome
1: Honestly, that was one of the easiest episodes that I have edited yet. I I did the first draft on this one. And like, I remember as soon as we stopped recording, I was just like, that was like a one take wonder. Like, I don't even have to like edit anything. It just flowed like so easily and naturally. And like, not to say that other conversations don't. I just honestly, the most time I spend is like cleaning up my ums and likes. Like I spend, I don't know if you know this, Wes, I spend an embarrassing amount of time doing that
0: oh, I've done so many, so many splices and edits of my fucked up audio of moments where I'm just like, um, but like, and then, you know, like, so yeah, I, I get it. And when, if I ever edit an episode where you have those moments, I don't even bring it up. I, I don't acknowledge it. Cause I know you clean up my mess too sometimes. So just thankful for you forever.
1: <laughs> I wonder if that's how I sound on like live zoom calls at work every day. If I'm just like a, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I want to say that we're blabbering messes, but I listen to myself talk and I'm like, damn, I say um and like a lot. And I also honestly talk kind of fast. I talk as fast as I walk. I'm a very fast walker. Um, you
0: walk so fast. <laughs> Slow down, Elizabeth. You don't live in New York City anymore. Oh my Fucking God. relax.
1: There are times, especially. I feel like, like I have to
0: sprint keeping up with you and you're just like, <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yo, if I ever get a dog, I feel like that I'm going to be walking that dog. I'm going to be like, yo, keep up. Let's go. <laughs> oh,
0: you would be walking that dog for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. You know, it was such a pleasure to sit down and talk with Jack, whose work I'm a big fan of. And I just saw today that, you know, he's a, he. actually, if you didn't know, he made the actual posters for Red Rocks. I'm pretty sure we talked about that. But he designed the posters for Tipper Red Rocks, and they're going to be mailing out soon, and I'm fucking super psyched. So, Jack, thank you for being a dope human who makes dope art and just got out of your comfort zone and decided to share it and take it to more of these public spaces. Uh, I don't know where you're going to be next, but very much looking forward to it. And if you're listening, if you're at an event and you see anti-Alias on the bill, you are in for a fucking treat. And that's a fact.
1: Yes, we are so excited to see what his future has in store for all of us at some of the events coming up this year.
0: Well, until the next time, thank you again for letting us take up some of your precious time. We hope that whatever it is you're doing, whatever events you're getting ready for, you're going to do them to the best of your ability and just fucking get back out there and support this scene, support yourself, drink some water, and as always, just go listen to some pretty lights if you're ever feeling down i can't tell you how much shortcut detour has been getting spun for me lately but that's just that tune's just bringing me life
1: dude that whole album honestly like ever since you were playing that when you visited san francisco i was like oh passing by behind your eyes might be my favorite album
0: it's so good
1: it's i
0: did i'll flex my pl fandom I was hanging out with some PL kids at the Charles the First Benefit and we were like waiting in line for the merch which was the biggest merch fucking, I'll stop swearing so much I realize I'm saying that a lot, but it was like the biggest cluster of a mess of a merch I've ever been in since Telluride 2016, but while we're in there, one of my friend's friends who's someone I just met was like, oh I'm the biggest PL fan, I know every song. And I was like, well do you know what album Solamente's on? And she was like, What? And I said, Too slow, it's track five on filling up <laughs> filling up the city skies part one. What?
1: <laughs> wow. That's how wow. I know these
0: things. Shortcut detours track three on passing by behind your eye. What?
1: Okay, what about look both ways?
0: Look Both Ways is off an EP, and the EPs I don't have down like that. Okay. It's okay. obviously overspilling over every side, right? Yes, is it, obviously... it is.
1: It is. Oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> I want to say it's track three or four. I, I don't
1: even know. I honestly, like, I could tell you what albums most of the songs are on, but track order, I hadn't even begin to begun to wrap my head around, so...
2: Oh, uh, it's
0: just because I am such a boomer. I listen to Pretty Lights on compact discs in my car when I drive. Stop it. So, you're trying to you know, flex. Okay. <laughs> oh, am I flexing? Excuse me. Let's see. I'm going to find the answer to this. Spilling over every side. Here's track four. Okay. What?
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, guys, Wes is the biggest Pretty Lights fan.
0: (laughs) Certified ass about me on the streets.
1: (laughs) Okay, we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you so much again. Take good care of yourselves. We'll leave you with Versicolor, a track off of Charles I's Running Through the Forced EP. I hope he's resting peacefully, and I hope that this community does everything that it can to keep his legacy alive.